This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I know we've been making a play to get Chip Wilson on this program, but we why haven't. are you wearing Lululemon pants? I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm going to my first yoga class tonight, and maybe this is subconsciously about uh, our attempt to get Chip Wilson to, to come on the show. But yeah, I'm headed down to uh, yoga for stiff guys at the Mount Pleasant Community Center tonight. My first yoga class ever. And... Uh, that's saying I think I'm the only person in Vancouver who has yet to try yoga. You're you're gonna love it. And I I, I let me guess what prompted this. It, was it was it when you put your back out washing your hair? That's happened twice over the last three four months. Right. Uh, it's actually drying my hair is when the, I have the rigorous major, dry. The rigorous dry is when I have major neck issues. Right. Um. Yeah. A lot of people are are surprised uh, by that fact and the fact that I also can't touch my knees. So. This yoga, I think, is going to do wonders for me, and I'll report back. Report back. Keep us keep us posted. I know that it was actually a listener who got you into this. That's right. A good friend of the show, Martin, uh, who who mentioned he he actually graduated from yoga for stiff guys, and he's now just a, a yoga for normal person guy. Yeah. Um, so he's in he's he's in just a regular yoga class. That's now. right. That's wow. right. He said it. He said it's a it's quite easy, but uh, he's also in far superior shape uh, than myself. So we'll see. I, I'm excited. I'm excited. So uh, yeah, report back about that. But today we've got a fantastic episode. We've got Brendan Lacerda. He's an economist at Moody's Analytics, and he's uh, stationed out of Philadelphia. That's right. Yeah. 
so the reason we got in touch with Brendan Lacerda is he's Moody's Canada guy. Right. Uh, he's not from Canada. He's visited Canada a couple of times. But what he does, what Moody's Analytics is really doing is looking uh, at global markets and assessing kind of countries' creditworthiness, uh, assessing risk for their clients. And Brendan has shown up in the news over the last couple of years uh, talking about the housing market here in Canada and specifically in Vancouver. So we decided to have him on, and we were glad he took the time. And uh, it's a really interesting conversation because Brendan is kind of an outside observer right. talking He's about Canadian. interest rates, uh, risks associated with Canada and Vancouver. So it's it's uh, it's a really interesting take. I really enjoyed this conversation, and you know we've had we're, we've had a lot of people come on the program and make predictions. Brendan has some really useful information, some really interesting insights, and you're going to learn a lot this episode. This is this is a good one for sure. Yeah. And Matt, before we get to that, uh, and before I forget, I, this is really important. A lot of people have gotten in touch and asked about Fort St. John and Dawson Creek. We've obviously talked about it on the program as a great investment. These are cash flow properties. Um, on our other show, we've got the Vancouver Presale Condos podcast, also available on iTunes or on our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We're featuring a property, Cambridge Estates. Okay, so it's a new development in Fort St. John. We've talked extensively about Fort St. John on the on the program. Well, yeah, and specifically about Northeast BC and the economic boom that's going to uh, come there with the right. LNG announcements. Yeah, so the LNG announcements, $40 billion invested. It's the largest private investment in, in Canadian history. Uh, we're looking at over 20,000 jobs and probably around a 40-year, 30, 40-year outlook here. So for people that are looking to get cash flow properties in an area that's uh, kind of set to explode, this is a perfect opportunity. Head over and listen to Vancouver Presale Condos podcast. Uh, we've got Dave Steele on this week talking about Cambridge Estates. Yeah, it, it is at the very least, you want to hear this because I think this is an opportunity that is uh, that doesn't come around very often. So For sure. But without further ado, Matt, why don't we cut to our interview with Brendan Lacerda. Enjoy, guys. Okay, so we're here with Brendan Lacerda, economist at Moody's Analytics. How are you doing, Brendan? Doing great. How are you guys doing? Not too bad, Fantastic. thanks. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, Brendan. Oh, absolutely. Can you maybe uh, start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I am an economist with Moody's Analytics, which you know, I, I, I tell people that, and usually the follow-up question is, you know, either what stock should I buy or, or when's the next recession coming? <laughs> um, I, I, I guess my, my job actually falls more towards the, the latter. Um, we're in the economic forecasting business. Uh, I am the lead forecaster for the Canadian National Service and the Subnational Service. Uh, then also a, a big part of my job is I do a lot of model development and model building uh, for our global model. Um, so, so my duties do extend well beyond Canada sometimes. And and are you Canadian or do you have kind of connections to Canada or was that kind of just the gig that you got? Yeah, no. Um, when I When I started here... I, I was uh, basically told uh, you're you're in charge of Canada now. Um, I, I grew up in the Boston area. I, I had visited a few times, uh, but but frankly, yeah, the the first uh, few months was a bit of a, a crash course <laughs> in understanding uh, the Canadian economy. Right. I'm always curious, like if for stuff like that. And I was looking um, yesterday at a lot of your 
you know you put out a lot of uh, a lot of analysis do you guys factor in like what do you factor in i know obviously numbers and and data are are big but is there kind of a a cultural or uh political component to to the analysis at all or is it just kind of a numbers uh driven analysis yeah i mean to to some degree you know even though i'm not canadian um I, I think in in part there's there can be a bit of an advantage to that that I don't, I don't think I'm any swayed by any biases. I just have a very agnostic approach. Right, um, kind of an objective outsider. I, I look at I look at what my models tell me. Um, but but yes, yeah, certainly with with the forecasts, uh, it does reflect um, the cultural and, and political differences times and you know the but that, a lot of that's built into to the structure of the economy. So. I mean, like, for for example, like one of the things I was looking at the other day was uh, like delinquencies on mortgages. Uh, you know, seeing if there's any stress like bubbling up in the real estate market, and even you know where where you, the United States is at today, and everyone's like, well, wow, the, the mortgage delinquency rate it's it's really it's really falling. You know, it's it's come a long way down. I mean, it's still several times higher than it is in Canada, um, even even on the Canadians' uh, worst day. Um, so I don't know if that's a statement that, you know, Canadians are much better about paying their bills than Americans are. Um, but, you know, maybe there's also cultural attitudes, uh, you know, differences in legal systems. Then um, that all gets factored into the forecast. You know, thinking about that, it, can we talk maybe about just the Canadian economy in general? Is, is the Canadian economy healthy right now, Brendan? Yeah, it's 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 in good shape. Um, there's a bit of a roller coaster for the year there. When um, oil prices fell down, you know, things were looking pretty bleak uh, in 2015, the first half of 2016. Uh, then we really got some phenomenal growth for a long time. Um, and, and at present, uh, I would say you know, we're basically at cruise speed. Uh, we're sort of right on target for the, the economy's long-run uh, potential growth rate. Uh, one of the issues is, is that now the United States is about to go on a bit of a roller coaster uh, because you know we're pumping lots of fiscal stimulus into the economy, um, so we're, so we're, we should we should continue to get strong growth uh, through the end of this year and next. Um, but but if I was if I was worried about any year in particular, it would probably be 2020, uh, when interest rates are going to be a lot higher. They're not going to have that stimulus. Um, I, I think there's the same issues in Canada, particularly with the amount of debt households have taken on. And a lot of that comes to bear uh, about a year and a half out. And and is that just because interest with interest rate increases uh, over the next year, year or two? Uh, like, why is 2020? That's an interesting year. Uh, that's when my mortgage comes due. Why is 20? <laughs> why, why is 2020? You're scaring me. <laughs> For personal reasons. Yeah. Why is 2020 uh, an important time? It's It's really because of the United States. Uh, and the the sort of spillover effects that has for Canada, um, the way they structured Trump's tax cut package is basically that all the tax cuts get front loaded into 2018 and 2019. Uh, on the side, we're also increasing federal spending, so there's going to be even boost on top of that. Uh, but because of the budgetary rules in the United States. Uh, the way they pass the law is that it has to be uh, deficit neutral after 10 years. 
So it front loads all this stimulus, and then actually at that point in time, tax rates are going to start rising. So we're losing the stimulus uh, in place of it. Now we're going to have higher interest rates uh, because because of the boost from that growth. Inflation's picking up. The Bank of Canada and the the Federal Reserve are going to start to get a little more nervous and and, keep raising rates. Um, And so at 2020, you have this juncture where there's no more stimulus. uh, We have higher interest rates. And uh, that's going to lead to a significant slowdown in growth. What is the biggest risk factor in your mind uh, facing Canada, especially moving towards 2020? I would I, w- I would put two risks forth. Uh, there is the issue concerning debt. Um, in in Canada, it's particular to mortgage debt. Um, but but I can talk in a second. You know, it's it's debt is actually an issue all across the globe. Um, if I put forth the second risk, uh, it's it's still on the trade front. Um, at the end of the day, you know, Canada is an open economy. It it depends heavily on trade, uh, and even though we have some certainty around um, the USMCA, you know, NAFTA, whatever we're calling it now, right? Uh, there's there's still the conflict between the United States and China has resulted in a slowdown in growth in China. Uh, that's a significant market for Canadian exports. Uh, to the degree that you know this worsening in the trade situation also causes uh, tradable goods prices, commodity prices to fall, um, that impairs income growth uh, for Canadian businesses. Uh, so there's there's still a risk on that front um, as things develop. How much of that is is politics in your mind? I mean, presumably a lot of it, considering the trade conflicts that are that are kind of facing uh, multiple countries around the globe seem to be motivated by uh, this kind of rise in nationalism and, and rise in kind of tightening up borders and, and uh, kind of move away from free trade. It's, it's a hundred percent politics. Um, there's, there's, there's a deliberate policy policy decision uh, to, to embrace these measures. There's no, overwhelming economic reason that justifies them um so this this is this is the decision this is the path they've decided to go down which which introduces you know which makes our job difficult because how do you forecast what policy makers are thinking um trying to sort of read people's minds is, is, is a difficult task yeah yeah no kidding it's uh if you would have asked uh, probably anyone five years ago, uh, no one would have expected uh, for the globe to be where we are now. Yeah, certainly. I mean, if, if you, you know, economists rarely agree about a lot of things, uh, but the overwhelming consensus is that trade is a positive. Um, so it is unfortunate to see these steps backwards, um, but it's a policy-driven decision. So so nothing's permanent. Um, the next administration could decide much differently. Right, right. So it's interesting. Canada is obviously really tied to uh, to the United States. Um, you mentioned mortgage debt as being as being kind of one of the other critical factors apart from trade that you see as as worrisome. Can you speak a little bit more about uh, the mortgage debt that Canadians have taken on? And um, you know, historically, if it's if it's quite a bit different than previous generations, and, and get your thoughts on where we are and where we're headed? Sure. Just 
just I mean, when I base my judgment and I say that you know Canadian households have taken on a lot of mortgage debt, uh, we're you know I'm just looking at the uh, total household credit as as a fraction of disposable income. Uh, how much have you borrowed relative to you know how much you, do you make? Because you know theoretically, you know it, it doesn't matter how much you borrow if if you're making uh, you know boatloads of money. Uh, but that but that ratio is it's up to like 170 172 percent now, uh, which is which is pretty much a doubling uh, from where it was, say like 20 years ago. Um, and you know if, if you think about it, you know we we had this you know massive global recession in 2007 2008 2009. Uh, it was much milder in Canada than it was across the rest of the globe. Uh, but nevertheless, you had policymakers all across the globe uh, bring interest rates down down to near zero. Um, we we have countries still right now with you know, with negative interest rates, uh, and it just made borrowing extremely cheap. Um, and and sort of alluding to the point I made earlier, where you know we've seen Canadians take on a lot of mortgage debt. Uh, in turn, you know we've also seen Australians have taken on a lot of mortgage debt. Uh, in countries like the United States and Europe, uh, we've seen federal governments pile up uh, public debt, government debt. Uh, China is dealing with issues of uh, a large amount of corporate debt. Uh, so it's 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 not you know we, we sort of talk a lot about Canadians' uh, concerns about the mortgage debt, um, but this you know decade of near zero interest rates has has sparked uh, a lot of borrowing all across the globe. So it sounds like Canada is not necessarily at at more risk than than much of the globe. It sounds like everyone is highly leveraged at the, at this stage. Yep, that is a fact. Wow! How just moving forward? How do we um, the the deleveraging kind of process? It sounds like it needs to take place, um, and it it's a tightrope, obviously. But how do you how do you see how long does that in your experience, uh, generally take and, and what does that look like, I guess, moving forward? Yeah. So the goal is if, if we could, if we could achieve a soft landing, um, what would that look like? We, we would have an environment where central banks slowly start raising interest rate, interest rates, uh, that curbs, uh, the growth in credit, the growth in leverage, uh, in the meantime, you know, labor markets is, are are in great shape, uh, and, that, and that's going to spur wage gains. And if, if you know nothing rocks the boat and we we can hold it together, then eventually the the income gains uh, can help, as you said, you know, deleverage, pay to pay down that debt, and and get households, and governments, and businesses uh, in a better financial position. So it's it's a long process. It, it takes time. Uh, as you said, it's I. I I say that you know uh, Canadian households have, have put themselves in a precarious position. Uh, the, the debt alone isn't going to spark a recession. Uh, some of the analysis I've done is that you know just rising interest rates alone uh, aren't capable of, of sparking a recession or, or a severe contraction in the housing market. Uh, at the end of the day, the, the bedrock is the labor market. Uh, it needs to hold together and uh, generate income gains that can help pay down that debt. Now, of course, you know, we haven't vanquished the business cycle. So, you know, the, the concern is that, you know, maybe something develops in the financial markets, 
maybe something develops on the trade front, uh, and if, if it causes severe erosion in the labor market, uh, then I would be much more concerned of, of a much more pronounced uh, deleveraging. Uh, consumers cut back on their spending. Uh, and then sort of the fear then would be that you end up in this this sort of vicious cycle of job losses, deleveraging, uh, cutbacks in spending, further job losses. Uh, and that's how you end up in a recession. So, Brendan, in terms of Canada, is there an area that's at higher risk than than the rest of the country? I, I think it's it's each region has its own particular risks that it's exposed to. Um, you know, the certain certain areas of the country, the prairies and some of the Atlantic provinces, uh, heavily dependent on commodity prices. Uh, you know, Ontario, I would say, probably more exposed to a uh, financial type of shock, um, given the large amount of financial services in the area. Uh, probably also some, to some degree trade. I think you know British Columbia is also uh, fairly exposed on the, on the trade front. Um, perhaps more exposed on on the housing market front, um, because it, it just seems that so much of uh, the Vancouver economy is devoted to the building of homes. Um, mm-hmm. So any contraction in the housing market would see, would, would you know it would be pretty fair to say it would have an outside of, outsized effect on Vancouver. But you know I, I should say um, you know it, in general you know our our outlook for Canada our baseline outlook is still um, we, we we don't envision uh, a, a you know severe con- correction in the housing market. Um, we're we're not predicting a, a recession in the next few years. Uh, the prospects have improved on the trade front um, with the with at least a handshake on the new deal. And so, you know, it's sort of a little bit of a tightrope, but, but the baseline sort of the, the median outlook is uh, the economy will do, will do fairly well. Just out of curiosity, Brendan, I mean, we obviously we're, we're in Vancouver here and there's a lot of people that are, are quite bearish on the market, um, you know, and have been for years calling us a housing bubble. Um, would you, would you, would you use the term housing bubble in, in, in reference to Vancouver? I guess in order for someone to be classified as a bubble, it has to pop. So I, I would not deem, uh, the Vancouver housing market a, a bubble. Uh, that's, I think too many people have their own definition of that term. And I, I don't, I don't want to use it and, you know, have someone construe that, uh, in a particular way. Um, I will say that it, it, from our analysis, um, house prices have deviated from the long-run fundamentals of, you know, in- median household income growth, population growth, um, you know, the price of land. Um, so, so when we construct our house price forecast, we sort of a two-step process. Where, where first we think about, you know, what what determines the long-run trend. Like, well, it's, you know, income, it hits the number of people, and it's, it's what's the price of land. Uh, and, and then we construct sort of a second equation to say, okay, you know, how could the market vary from that trend? And then that depends on, you know, more high-frequency indicators like unemployment and, and mortgage interest rates. And, you know, w- what it says to us is that, you know, the, the Vancouver real estate market is overvalued, Um I think by our measure, you know, Vancouver is overvalued by about 40%. Uh, but that's that's not to say that, you know, there's going to be a correction of that magnitude. Um, how you could have a situation and sort of what we're forecasting is that 
you know, prices are going to level off and uh, given enough time that that trend will, will catch up and, and restore the balance. It's interesting because, I mean, at least around five years ago or so, uh, even three years ago, there was the uh, the, the New York Times article that, that we... No, it was a New Yorker article. Or a New Yorker article talking, we talked on the podcast about real estate goes global. And it was this idea that the, the fundamentals about, you know, looking at local markets don't don't really apply to the the direction that real estate is heading, and now we're seeing this this uh, governments all over the world kind of tighten up in this way, where globalization it 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 seems very much anti globalization. Does that mean that we're kind of returning to these fundamentals, or did they ever go away? Do you find these metrics really useful still? Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. I think you know what I think. What your other interviewer or interviewee was getting after was that. You know, there's, there's a huge amount of um, flow of like global capital, and you know, one one of the things when I speak and I talk about the Vancouver real estate market, uh, one of those things I point out is that it's not a coincidence that uh, the housing market in Vancouver, in Toronto, took off in 2015, because with the fall in oil prices um, over that few year period, the value of the Canadian dollar fell. By by twenty five percent. So if you're a foreign investor and and you look at you know if you looked at the Canadian real estate market in 2015 2016, you know for you all of a sudden it would look like a much more attractive investment if you're holding Canadian dollars. So you know oftentimes in a presentation I'll, I'll show you know Canadian home prices and uh, you know the local currency, but then also say you know if you, if you look at it in you know U.S. dollars, you don't see nearly the bubble. Uh, that a lot of people have referred to. It was still on sale, essentially. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, you you wake up, you know, a year later, and from a foreigner's perspective, the price of real estate in Vancouver is down twenty five percent. And that's exactly like when we chart. I remember late twenty fourteen when when oil dropped and the market just took off like a like like a shot. Right, I remember that right. uh, distinctly because it was so pronounced. So yeah, it's interesting to think of that of of foreign capital or or global capital entering the market at that at that stage. You know, in in thinking, um, just thinking out loud here, uh, Brendan. But do you, do you see Vancouver as as? I mean, we often hear about these cities like Hong Kong, Sydney, Shanghai, London, uh, San Fran. Do you guys? What, what's your perception of Vancouver within the global context? Do you see it as a superstar city? It's. It's certainly rising in the rankings. Um, I think its its global profile uh, has increased a lot. Uh, if you know, there's there's certain you know every every single one of those cities you you sort of think about you know the Londons, the Hong Kongs, you know Tokyo, other places. And one thing those all have in common too is like their global financial centers. Uh, so you do already have you know a huge amount of money flowing into those areas. I think the thing to think about is, you know, it, it seems that at least in this one-off event, um, there was a lot of foreign demand that helped push up prices in Vancouver. I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical that, that that would happen again. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's calling for another, you know, 25% drop in, in the Canadian dollar. Um, it seems like in a lot of uh, foreign countries, uh, I guess I'll mention China in particular, that as growth has slowed, um, they've really tightened up on capital controls. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not letting as much money flow out of their country. 
um, you know, trying to, I guess, trying to keep the investment, you know, more local. So there's, there's, there's a bit of a, a bit, a bit of caution is warranted on whether or not we can continue to see how much, how much more money is going to be flowing into the Vancouver market. Um, I mean, now that being said, it, it seems that, you know, to some degree, the, the attraction to Vancouver can also be that house prices on the U S West coast, um, are, are blowing up all over the place, you know, LA, San Francisco, Seattle, um, all these areas have seen, you know, phenomenal house price growth. Um, so, you know, for, for the international investor, you know, for a foreign a foreigner moving in, you know, Vancouver is sort of an attractive, like next destination. Um, at least, you know, in previous years, I guess, was relatively more affordable. Um, you know, Canada does have a much more, uh, liberal immigration policy than the United States does. Some of the fastest, you know, population growth amongst developing nations. Uh, so that's in a conducive to growth. So I'd say, you know, there, there is a bunch of positive, you know, factors lined up for Vancouver. Um, but, but as you said, you know, I, I guess getting back to your original question of, you know, is, is Vancouver going to be the next, um, you know, Hong Kong or, or New York or one of these like global cities? Um, it, it's headed in that direction. Um, you know, we see, I, I see the, the tourism numbers, uh, you know, more and more people are, are visiting the city. Uh, the profile is growing. Um, but, you know, there, there's, there's still a good way to go. There's still a long way to go, I, I guess, to get into that, you know, the, the elite strata of, of global cities. Right. So if I understand correctly, if from your analysis, Vancouver is potentially 40% overvalued and those specific circumstances of late 2014 through 2017 that that led to this incredible spike in home prices is not coming again in the near future it was kind of a almost a one-off am i right to to take away that you're saying uh not a huge 40 percent drop but kind of flat for a considerable amount of time here in our market is is kind of the best analysis yeah in, in regards to the previous run-up in prices uh i, I think the point i'm trying to make is that it, it was a certain it was a perfect storm a, a perfect confluence of events with you know, strong global growth, uh, fall in uh, the value of the Canadian dollar, coupled with, you know, extremely low interest rates sure. uh, to encourage domestic growth. So you had all the ingredients were in place uh, to, to boost prices. Going forward, I'm, I'm actually looking at some different fundamentals that I think are going to dictate uh, the direction that the market's headed. Um, so if, if I was going to give my house price forecast for uh, the Vancouver market, it's sort of, there's, it's almost a tale of two markets. Uh, on one hand, you know, the single family and, and the single family attached uh, is going to do fairly well. You know, we, we put out some numbers, I think, you know, for like the, the single family detached homes, I mean, we're still going to see growth of, you know, four to 5% over the next few years. Um, it, it seems to me that there's much more trouble in, in the multifamily, uh, the condo and apartment market. Um, there is, there's just a, a huge amount of supply that that's coming on the market. I, I was crunching some numbers, you know, in preparation for, for our call today. And just, just looking at, you know, you can sort of look at like the, the number of, the number of completions uh, as a ratio of, you know, population growth, you know, like how many, how many new houses are we building for extra, how many extra person we're getting? Um, it's, it's at, you know, an extremely high level. If you look at, you know, even though, you know, housing starts are elevated, 
Um, they, they've pulled back a little bit recently, but but the dollar value of those starts um, has has continued to skyrocket, uh, which suggests you know a lot of the investment is pouring into the luxury, like the high end of the market. Um, so just given that we're building so many apartments, multifamily units in Vancouver, uh, so much of it is going you know more in towards the higher end of the market. You just sort of have the forces of supply and demand. And it, it seems that with you know, interest rates starting to cool down demand, uh, but this, this huge amount of supply coming onto the market, there will be a more, a more significant correction uh, for the apartment and condos. That's fascinating. Is, is there any, just in terms of other thoughts about Vancouver real estate that you have? Uh, that, was, that was a sharp analysis, obviously. Yeah, it was... Um, no, I, you know, just just sort of in, I guess from like a qualitative point of view, I was out in Vancouver um, around the end of September, and I, I looked at my wife and I was saying like, I can understand why so many people want to live here and why it's so expensive. Uh, you know, it's 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 a truly wonderful city. It's, it's such a nice place to live. So, uh, you know, I, I to some degree I, I wonder, you know, how much of you know the increase in values can, can be explained by those factors. Yeah, I mean, we hear it all. We yeah, that's that's what a lot of people kind of hang on to is this idea that we are we are a beautiful city, and a lot of people will choose to wanna to wanna live here, especially people with the means to do so. Yeah, and and one other thought that I wonder if you have any thoughts on is uh, something we've heard more and more lately is uh, people hedging uh, against global warming, and I think Vancouver is well positioned in that regard. Is that something that kind of enters into to your analysis at all, or do you have any thoughts on that? Um, that kind of take. Yeah, we've we've done we've done some separate research looking at uh, how global warming affects, uh, you know, like rising sea levels, and then you know which particularly like global metro areas would be sort of most threatened by these developments. Um, I don't I don't think we've done anything specific for Vancouver. I, I think. Also speaking to my the, the, our, our forecast for Vancouver, you know, sort of the reality at the end of the day is that, that there is a bit of a land uh, a land shortage, uh, a short supply of land in Vancouver. Um, particularly as you think, you know, you know, generally people would prefer to live like closer to downtown. Um, I, I think I've gotten some mixed reactions about uh, the traffic and, and congestion in the city and in people's disfavor for you know living too far from uh city center uh so so at the end of the day you know one of the one of the real constraints that the vancouver market faces is that you know you just don't have like an ample you know, huge amount of land which is why i think you know that that lends a lot of support to to the single family market um at the end of the day you know the, the land it's the land the house is sitting on itself is just, is just very valuable um as opposed to you know the, the multifamily market. The values I think are much more, uh, much more threatened by by some of like the cyclical developments in the economy. Sure, sure. Maybe uh, changing gears here a bit, uh, Brendan. Do, looking at kind of North America in general, where which markets do you think uh, have some real room to grow? Are there any any areas or cities that you're kind of focused on specifically? Yeah. So if I guess there's this sort of theory in economics, you know, like we sort of call it like the law of one price, 
you know, sort of the, the idea of like hedging, you know, you know, buy low or, you know, arbitrage, um, you know, buy low, like sell high. Uh, so, you know, typically you think sort of more of the long run, uh, you know, businesses are, are attracted to lower cost areas that you have, you know, highly like, skilled workforce. Uh, you know, one of the places where we're expecting um, strong growth over the near term is is sort of the American, uh, I, I wouldn't call it quite the West, uh, some sort of like the Rocky regions, um, you know, areas like Denver, Salt Lake City, really, really rapidly expanding economies, large, you know, very fast population growth too. Uh, I, I think, you know, Canada does, Canada benefits from a lot of those factors too, you know, having like a high skilled workforce and, you know, I, I generally, you know, as I said before, you know, more liberal immigration policy, uh, which I think should, you know, continue to encourage uh, population growth. I, I sort of, it's a little hard to, you know, pick um, some of like the, the winners and, and the losers. But at least speaking from my own perspective, you know, down here in America, I, I would, I would bet that you know the performance of like the Rockies region of the United States would continue to outpace some other parts of the country. Yeah, it strikes me that it, there's like a quality of life factor there that attracts the skilled labor that then, then attracts the businesses, right? It's, uh, I guess, my point is Colorado is a really nice place. Yeah, you know, and sometimes I think about it more, you know, general, gen, generationally, I guess, if, if that's a word or not. But if you think about, you know, younger folks as they come up and they're trying to start their life, it can be very discouraging to, you know, you're looking at, you know, apartment prices, you're trying to rent something, uh, you're trying to sort of figure out, you know, where to live, where are the job opportunities. And, you know, at some point it just gets discouraging um, if, if a place is, you know, you're just starting out in your career, your income isn't very high, uh, the area, you know, isn't very affordable. Um, and it seems like a lot of these areas in the Western United States have, have offered that. We've seen you know, that was sort of, I think, the story of Seattle, sort of going back to before, I guess, Amazon, uh, you know, really propelled the city and, and things took off. Um, you know, we've really seen a lot of growth out in like Portland, like Eugene, Oregon, at least you know, previously because of their high affordability, affordability uh, people were attracted to move here. Well, last question for you, and we really appreciate your time. Uh, do you think you're going to have any sort of lifelong uh, connection to Canada here, or is it uh, is, is your <laughs> study of the country short lived? I, I, I keep joking with my bosses that you know they they really need to move me up to uh, Vancouver so I can really <laughs> you know get 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 a better pulse of uh, what's going on in the city. <laughs> uh, I'm not exactly sure if if they're on board for that one. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, I've really enjoyed my time, um, some of my travels, you know, up to, up to the area. I think it's, I think, you know, as an economist, um, and you, when you really dig down and you look at like the differences, you know, I, I think when you sort of really start to, you know, cover a country, you know, different from, uh, your own that, that you start to see how, you know, how, how are like the cultural institutions different? Uh, how's like the legal structure different? Um, you know, you sort of like what economic outcomes does that end up producing? Um, so I, w- I would say my, my opinion of Canada has only grown uh, the more I've come to know it. Oh, great. And do you have a highlight from, from your travels? Um, highlight from my travels? I, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Was it the poutine? You know what? Oh, you know, <laughs> actually... <laughs> I think things. So last time I was in uh, Vancouver, I went. And I, I went and saw the uh, the Capilano suspension bridge. Oh, nice! Which I, I I don't know if that's a bit of a tourist trap or not, but um, 
That was I, I. I can't say I've any. I've done anything like that recently. <laughs> yeah. so that, that was a bit of a thrill. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, we take people there all the time, and it, it's definitely it's definitely busy, but it's it's a beautiful place. That's for sure. It's hard to replicate something like that. Okay, well, maybe we'll leave it there. But Brendan, how can people find out more about you, your research, and then also about Moody's Analytics as well? Uh, it's really easy. You can head to economy.com. Uh, I do a lot of writing for the website. Uh, you can read a lot of my analysis, uh, a lot of great information and data available. Excellent. And we'll link to that in our show notes as well and on our website. And uh, we really appreciate your time. Thanks, thanks again for coming on. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks again, Brendan. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Brendan Lacerda, economist at Moody's Analytics. Super interesting conversation with Brendan, Matt, and dare I say that he might be a Canadian convert. That might be going a bit far. I'm he's not an sure outsider I, looking in and I'm, he likes what he I'm sees. I'm not sure I got that, actually. But, you know, uh, I think he's an Elias Pettersson fan, to be honest. <laughs> but I And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right yet. But uh, yeah, we're, we're all excited. That everybody jumps on that bandwagon. I we, think. we love to see our tires pumped here in Canada. And we love to have guys like Brendan on the program. What a bright guy. Bright guy. There was a lot of useful information there. Sure. Um, I, I really find it interesting. And he's not the first guy we've heard uh, talk about 2020 being the recession year. Well, that's it. And we've heard that we've heard that a lot lately. And here's the thing. Wouldn't you want to be liquid in coming years in a lot of ways? Because I think there's going to be huge opportunities in real estate and huge opportunities in all markets to come. Um, when I say that, though, I should say it doesn't mean that there's not huge opportunities right now all across Canada. There most definitely are always opportunities out there. One that comes to mind is $40 billion being invested in the northern part of BC, specifically looking at northeast BC. Right. And you know what? We've talked about it on the program extensively, but at the end of the day, the opportunities are really when you're looking at properties that cash flow positive. And I mean, if it cash flows, it's a, it's always a good buy, right? That's at the end of the day, it's a good buy. Listeners have been getting in touch and asking for properties that cash flow positive. We've got one. It's over at Vancouver Presale Condos podcast. It is in Fort St. John and Dawson Creek area. We're talking about Cambridge Estates, and we're pretty excited about this one. There's a lot to like there. It's also uh, on our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. So if you're interested at all, this is one that uh, we want to get in front of people. So go check that out. For sure. And and we will have a webinar um, with, a, with a link that we can send out. We're going to have a ton of information about this project. And for people that purchased in Langford, we're going to have a similar type system with live binder so you can get a ton of information right off the hop it's user friendly and it answers any question that you might have 100 and if you're looking in vancouver we also have resources for you such as private client services matt if you are not using pcs you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by you get realtor level information you get sold prices days on market it's integrated with all the map systems and it's free on our website vancouverrealestatepodcast.com if you are searching for vancouver real estate without using pcs you are doing it wrong we also have that mobile app Matt, picture this. You're out looking for a Canucks jersey because it's almost that time again to jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> Possibly? Possibly? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm already on it. <laughs> and you see this beautiful building right by the arena. Uh, let's just call it uh, Abbott and Kiefer. Okay. Okay. Maybe a Henderson building? A Henderson building? Let's say Espana. Let's say Forenze. <laughs> um, but regardless of what it is, Matt, you point your phone. It turns out there are listings inside the building and 
the price actually kind of makes sense. Hey, you know what? Crosstown's a good buy. Good value in Crosstown. Anyway, so that is what the mobile app has to offer. It's augmented reality. That's what augmented reality looks like. As a final plug, Matt, we've had an overwhelming interest in the seminar that we're doing, pre-sale versus resale. And that's that's this evening. That is actually, yeah, this evening. So what we'll do is uh, we're going to be having, we're, we're unfortunately, we are at capacity, but we're going to be having tons of events in the future. So please, please, please get in touch if you want to get on the list and, and sign up, of course, for the Livewire. You can do all that over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. If you have any questions at all or want to get in touch with me, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have Pedersen's newest but biggest fan, Secret Scalina. You can get in touch with him. Yeah, at, uh, what is it, bandwagon at notreallyacanucksfan.com. <laughs> no, it's it's info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. All right, guys. Well, hey, enjoy your week, and uh, we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Yeah, you must be hot in that jersey there, Secret Scalina. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join. 
type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakwind, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakwind.com slash join typing in VRP 2020.